Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, whether they're eBooks or earrings. Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Cynthia Salarizada. She is founder and president of the House of Saka. She is also co-founder of Green Market Media. And she's the founder and CEO of the Salar Media Group, uh, one of the top cannabis PR companies that's been around. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about just generally about cannabis, what's going on in the market, her experience and the work that she's done, but particularly around the role of PR, the importance of PR. I think as most people know, cannabis is a somewhat of a unique industry in that it's uh, federal uh, legality status causes uh, certain things to kind of work and not work in the industry and and how you actually can kind of access some of these platforms and, and get your word out there and advertise and things like that is uh, is somewhat restricted and somewhat compromised because of that. And PR ends up being a really effective strategy if you know how to use it, know how to leverage it, and how it can really kind of boost a company, boost a brand, uh, get the message out there. So with that, Cynthia, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. So before we kind of jump into what's going on today in cannabis and the role of PR, let's get a little bit of background you know, about you and the work that you've done. You've, you've been involved in cannabis for quite some time. 
and we'd love to kind of hear the story and kind of yeah your experience and, and what what your background is and then we can kind of talk about what you're doing today great so as you mentioned i am the founder and president of the luxury brand house of Saka, which is a cannabis infused non-alcoholic wine out of napa valley i apologize my gardeners are here i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time a couple of gardeners came on the program <laughs> oh that is fun i am the founder and the president of that luxury brand as mentioned i'm also so the co-founder of Green Market Media with Deborah Borchart, which sits over Green Market Report, Hemp Market mm-hmm. Report, Green Market Summit. And we're getting ready to hopefully launch something called Candex, which we've been talking about for a year now, yet the technology is still not ready to roll. So always frustrations with stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then I was the founder and CEO of one of the top cannabis PR firms called Solar Media Group, which was acquired by a much larger entity called KCSA Strategic Communications off of uh, Fifth Avenue in New York City. Technically, they're at 425th Avenue in New York City. Yeah. So that was that was really great. But yeah, my experience in public relations is probably one of the main reasons that I'm in cannabis and was shifted into this industry because I had a skill set that was really valuable at the end of the day once they needed to start to reverse the stigma from yeah. all of the damage that was done from the Reaper Madness campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a very impressive, very strategic, thought-out public relations campaign that yeah. it was. So it stands to reason that that was what you needed in your corner to reverse all the damage and to help move legislation and the markets in the direction that it needed to go to, to where we could get to where we are today. Yeah, kind of fight fire with fire kind of strategy. Exactly it. Yeah. And because we are still federally illegal, as you mentioned, we cannot advertise like other industries. So if you can't figure out creative marketing and public relations, you are at a loss as any sort of company or brand in the cannabis industry. So knowing that I had that skill set and working tirelessly and diligently for years to just help create the market, by the time everything was somewhat stabilized and California passed its full adult use laws, Proposition 64, I was ready to shift away from building up everybody else's companies and just create my own. So I took a shot in that direction and that's where I am right now. Got it. And, and tell me, in terms of the work that you were doing earlier in PR for companies, was this primarily around you know generating audience? Was it about getting customers? Was it affecting legislation? I mean, how, how did you see PR being used by you know by cannabis companies you know over the years? In the beginning, it was strictly to try to establish credibility for the plant overall for medical purposes because we had to start out that way. In Colorado, the first state that we pushed or the first larger state, because D.C., I think, went at the same time, but there was no commercial activity in D.C. But when Colorado moved into a full adult-use market, we got to start playing a little bit, when I say playing just in public relations, a little more in our kind of, it wasn't just seeking an outcome that would move legislation or provide credibility. We were beginning to commercialize, so we were learning how to market and use public relations to raise awareness for cannabis products, cannabis services. That was really the first market where we began to jump into public relations to try to speak to the consumer Mm -hmm. um, versus speaking to the government. And was years from that point, because when we 
did begin to do public relations for more of a consumer base. And even when we had the legislation, we started to realize that most of the writers won't touch cannabis. Most of the publications refused to even print the term cannabis or marijuana. Press release distribution companies would not publish releases with the terms cannabis and marijuana. And in fact, I went and and launched a cannabis press release distribution service called Access Wire to kind uh-huh. of fill that void. And that's technically still up and running. And I'm partnered with the founder of PR Web. What is up right now at accesswire.com is really just a minimum viable product. Um, mm-hmm. We've been building technology over the last two years to kind of corner that particular side to the market for cannabis globally. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, when we got into public relations in an actual adult use market, there was a lot of trial and error um, to try to understand how to speak to the consumers effectively, which publications spoke to consumers versus investors versus vendors, because these are all different approaches to different outcomes and goals. So it was really an interesting ride for anyone. I would say the original publicist in cannabis would be by far the very first one was Gaynell Rogers. So she was the most equipped by the time I stepped in. Then I believe I probably had the largest resume or the most most refined resume when it came to strategic communications and public relations outside of Gaynell Rogers. And then a little bit after me, we had someone by the name of Rosie Matteo joint. Mm-hmm. Then there's also GVM Communications with Gia Marone and then Heidi Gershon. Yep. We've had a couple of those folks on the podcast. Yeah. Hey, give me your take. I mean, I, so from a PR point of view, how does how did you see people kind of entering the market? I think one of the challenges, you know, in many industries face is as you develop a cannabis business or cannabis focused business, it, it can often have deleterious effects on the rest of your business, right? So how did you navigate or how do you see companies in, in the beginning kind of navigate? navigating this, you know, opportunity to apply, you know, these services in cannabis, but also having other businesses and working with other industries. How do companies kind of navigate that? Or, or what did you learn in terms of how to navigate that as a as a company? That's a good question. It's very loaded. So there'll be many different answers, but I'll, I'll gear towards what sticks out to me the most. You know, in the beginning for the first few years, brands and product producers didn't even want the attention because they were still so scared. They didn't know what was compliant, what wasn't compliant. So when people entered the market and there was some sort of announcement in the very beginning, it was more the attorneys who were okay. They already went all in on cannabis and had no issues with anybody understanding or knowing that they were associated with the industry. But in the beginning, it was very scarce. People were quiet. In fact, there's multiple occasions where I was hired just to keep people's name out of the media so they wouldn't be associated with cannabis, even though they were the largest players the whole time. So it was really unique in the beginning. But once the press release services started to allow cannabis, the use of cannabis and marijuana as terms within anything that was being published... All of a sudden, when people entered the industry, there were press releases, but that took a few years. Then all of a sudden, all of the writers were slowly, we had, so Deborah Borchart, my Mm -hmm. business relationship with her started out with me pitching her for Forbes. She was one of the 
only journalist in the world that would touch cannabis at the level she was at. She used to work for the street. She had the Forbes. She's one of the highest ranking financial journalists on the street in general on Wall Street. So for her to have moved over to cannabis, she took a lot of risk. But there were certain journalists like her that would actually take the leap and run stories. Forbes was very welcoming to us in the beginning and they're very welcoming to us now, but they've recently shut down our ability to join the Technology Council, the Communications Council. Now, all of a sudden, as of this year, um, I used to sit on the Forbes Communications Council for a couple years, but now, slowly, they're removing the ability for us to sit on those councils if you touch cannabis or CBD. So I don't know what the change was there, but it is what it is. So, you know, as slowly as the publications started to allow us to have a voice then that was what you saw was people entering the industry and doing it with somewhat of a splash. You had to, as a brand, an individual, a a law firm, doesn't matter who you were trying to get any sort of attention. If you didn't address one of the five people that I mentioned a few minutes ago, you had no shot of getting any attention. It still takes new PR firms almost a year to figure out the landscape because many of the writers that write for the cannabis publications still aren't recognized or logged in the communication and media databases that are attached to like services called Meltwater or Cision. So it's been a really unique experience watching brands attempt to come into the market and make their announcement. But now where we are right this minute, it's a press release, it's media, it's like any other industry. You just need to know who to contact, which requires an experienced PR person. And what makes a a PR person experienced? Like what is the capabilities, insights? What do they have? So what they have is the understanding of what is compliant to say. So for instance, there are medications out there with THC in it specific to cancer, specific to managing epilepsy, autism, but none of those packages or none of the media can say anything along the lines of treatment or say that it's a healthier option to other deadly pharmaceuticals. Like there's just terminology. You need to understand what you can legally say and cannot say. But more importantly, I'm going to really stress the relationships. You may have someone on your team who can sit there and pull together the media list and can reach out to anybody in the media, but most of those media representatives will never respond to your email. It just won't happen. They're too inundated with pitches all day long. They only look for the people they trust the most, which is the people they've worked with for the last seven years. And those emails get opened the quickest. They're the Uh only ones who normally receive a response. And that's what you pay for when you pay for traditional PR are the relationships. So in this case, experience comes with just simply time in the industry to understand the compliance, the legalities and the little nuances. But something like that, what does that take? I mean, you could study for a month and and really be okay in a couple months. It's the relationships. Yeah. Takes time, period. Yeah. And it just, it's easier for the outlets to rely upon good relationships. It could save them time, make sure that they're going to focus their efforts on things that are actually newsworthy and that they're actually online with what they cover. And it's just the way that it is. And you can't blame them because... 
you know, I crossed over to writing for when I was writing for Forbes, when I sat on the council, but also for Entrepreneur. And when you see the amount of pitches, I was never on the other side. And mm-hmm. then when I crossed over about two years ago and you see the level of people pitching you, you have no choice but to build relationships with people that you trust so that you can kind of zero in on what matters, just like you said. Those relationships are the most powerful tools within public relations and media for cannabis right now. That is what you're paying for when you pay for PR. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, give us a sense of what you can actually use PR for and what you can't use PR for or where it's more effective or less effective, you know, in general, but specifically within cannabis. There's an advertising agency I work with quietly, and I will not share the name, out of New York City who I'm able to slip through cannabis. I just had one of my clients in New York Magazine in their gift guide. Uh, Mine was in OK Magazine, Life in Style. We had Rolling Stone. So you can get paid placements but they're very rare and far in between. You just simply can't go to an advertising agency and do what normal companies do. But there are groups such as Philo, who I highly recommend, and they do digital marketing and digital advertising. That's also a very powerful weapon right now, but that also requires a lot of money. So unless you're a large brand or a large MSO, that may not necessarily be the best option for you. But for right now in public relations, you can put out a press release announcing a new product, announcing a new hire. If you have a new hire, go to your local business journal. You can probably get some press that way. Trade magazines are probably the best way to reach vendors or to speak to consumers. So High Times is still one of the best outlets, if not the best outlets, to speak to your consumer. Um, but then, you know, you've got Forbes and Fortune and Business Insider and, and you know, Reuters and CNN. And these are all the ways to just reach your investors or just overall profile, raise your overall profile. There's pretty much nothing you cannot do as far as public relations, as long as you can get a hold of that publication and convince the writer to write on your story, you can do pretty much anything. You just still cannot go out and you still really can't even Google cannabis in, you know, a Google search par or whatever the case may be. It's no different than like porn. So you just can't search those words. But as far as public relations is concerned, the world is your oyster as long as you have the money or have the skill set. Yeah. And in terms of time frame investment, what are reasonable expectations in terms of, you know, when you're embarking on a, a PR campaign, you know, how long does it take to generate results? What is the you know investment that you really need to take? Let's start with, if you're going to make the investment into PR, you got to find the right PR. So different PR firms focus on different things. So for instance, KCSA, their specialty happens yeah. to be public markets. So if you have a public cannabis company, they have great IR services and great financial media relations. If you go with If you have a technology platform or, for instance, you have a brand, right now is the time for brands and technology, for that matter, within cannabis, hands down by far, Matteo Communications. If you're a public company that focuses on pharmaceuticals or, you know, business with a a person of color kind of spin, GVM Communications all day long, all day long. If you're a California brand, 
Heidi's great for that. So there's different PR firms with different specialties. Zoe Wilder is out there and, and she's really good with traditional cannabis brands. Everybody has something a little bit different. But if yeah. you're an MSO, GVM, Matteo, KCSA, like these are where I would send my friends to go. Yeah. But so first you have to find the right chemistry and the right team to work with. Because if you don't like who you're working with in PR... If you guys don't have a good relationship, they're going to be less likely to fight even harder for you. You've got to have a good relationship with them. And you've got to make sure that they have the relationships in place to meet your goals. So understand your goals. And once you have found the right PR firm, it takes at least a month for discovery calls, for setting up your contract, any negotiations you have to do in that point, introducing your team and their team, them getting all the information they need. And by like month two, they start doing the pitching. You should probably expect to, you know, sometimes there are quicker results, but in reality, a good rule of thumb is to wait about three months before you see any results. And you should know if you've got your hands on a good PR firm by month six. Okay. If you yeah, literally so not, yeah, if you've literally not seen any results, then that's not the PR firm for you. But I would also expect to pay anywhere between five and at this point ten thousand dollars a month. If you're an MSO seeking IRN PR, you're probably looking more along the lines of twenty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a chunk of money. You've got to interview at least three PR firms. Look at who their clients are. Look at their clients' press request. And this is totally fine because each PR firm has clients and case studies set up so where they can provide this information to you immediately. But I would request, take pick one of their clients and look at a six-month period of time and look at their all of their press hits and the value behind it. So there's ways for these PR firms to generate business intelligence reports confidentially to share with other clients so you can see what they're made of. And once you start requiring proof and, you know, definitely talk to one or two referrals of brands that have been with them in the past, Mm -hmm. um, not everybody has a perfect experience. I would not cancel out a PR firm because one group had a bad experience with them. They may have had a bad experience in one place. And then the next place they move, it was just the perfect fit. And then a different person had a bad experience with that firm, but then came to this firm and and it's been, you know, going like gangbusters. So you really have to figure it out for yourself. You really have to look at the information and make the best decision from there. But it's definitely an investment and one that's well worth it within the cannabis industry by far. Yeah. So how have you leveraged your experience in in PR and cannabis now with the work you're doing today? So I do own the media company. I also own um, the press release distribution company. And I would say my finest use of my skill set and experience would be House of Saka. So now that I have my own brand, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see just how much press I can conjure up. And I'll be honest, I work closely with Matteo Communications on House of Saka. You know, why not? These are my yeah. friends. Yeah. <laughs> if I can have a huge PR firm back up my PR, I would argue I have some of the best PR in the industry, which I do. So that's what we do. I I use my PR at every turn just to enhance any of my companies, any of my new products and any of my friends. And every single day I utilize my PR more than anything else, my PR skill set. Yeah, I'm sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. It's, it's the most valuable asset in cannabis right now outside of actual capital funding. 
And so it's very valuable to, valuable to me and my partners on a daily basis, I would say. I'm sure. And how, how have things shifted? I mean, as this cannabis market grows and kind of evolves, what, what have you noticed that is, is different now than you know a year ago, two years ago? Straight up just perception of the industry until the pandemic. We were still because, you know, with the Trump administration, even though, for you know, he didn't hinder us completely. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he, he put a hammer down and totally blocked us. He just didn't help us. So we constricted, you know, within his administration over the last four years. The stocks weren't doing great. It was just not a great environment. And we knew it would continue to be that way because he sold his soul to the evangelical right, which opposes anything like this. But over the past year, I'd like to just because we experienced something globally that changed the world. And so everything up until that point doesn't matter. As soon as the pandemic happened, the world changed overnight. Yeah. It legitimized the industry in more ways than one. All of a sudden, everybody wants our money because we're one of the last (laughs) industries standing. Mm -hmm. So now we're one of the only industries where you can even tax. So over the next year... Over this past year, we just watched delivery overnight legitimize Mm -hmm. the industry overall, cannabis beverages and edibles. I mean, we're in a pandemic where it affects your lungs. So, of course, anything that you smoke may not be as acceptable as it was pre-COVID. So we've just seen the industry legitimize and we're watching governments just scramble to put together programs so that they can start taxing Cannabis, because there's no more really restaurants. And over the next two months, whatever what didn't die before probably will die. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we saw an extinction event in the spring. I don't think that's anything compared to what's coming up over the next three months. And somehow yeah. cannabis just keeps growing during this yeah. horrible moment in time. What a bittersweet, because we can't even as an industry really get excited about it because it's in a moment of horror. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 really hard for us to get excited about our industry overnight becoming everything that it, we thought would take at least another four to five. Do you think that? And you think that's what the kind of the acceleration has been? Is is advanced us? You know, four to five years that quickly? Overnight. Yeah. Overnight. As far as I'm concerned, there was no way to predict that every other industry would crumble. Yeah. And we would be the last standing. Never in a million years. I don't know what this is, but it's a bittersweet moment for all of us. And do you, what do you think are going to be the big sort of topics or, or things? I mean, you mentioned the taxation. I mean, certainly, and we had a couple of states that passed some legislation that are, you know, looking now at bringing in, you know, adult use, you know, markets into a couple of these states. It's just going to help, you know, tax revenues. But I mean, so tax revenues are big. I mean, this whole kind of, health and wellness stuff, you know, isn't probably going to be advanced, you know, given everyone's issues with, with uh, mental health and physical health. I mean, what, what do you think are going to be the topics that people are really going to focus on in cannabis over the next year or two? First of all, investment. We're going to see investment go through the roof in the next year because there's nothing else to invest in. I think we're going to see edibles and beverages mm-hmm. become much more prominent. They have, but they're only going to continue to become much more prominent as people continue to avoid smokable products. I mean, interestingly enough, let let me be clear that over the pandemic, even though we saw a rise in edibles and beverages sales, it really didn't kill flour. So it may have taken a dip for a moment, but Mm it still remained pretty consistent. Flour is never going to go anywhere. We're just going to see the other categories continue to grow. 
and, you know, we're growing, we no longer have a limited 11 states with, you know, we've got another six on board now. So as we continue to grow as a nation and these huge recreational markets come online, the Northeast, for example, I believe everybody said, oh, you know, what is the phrase? Whatever way California goes, everyone goes or whatever the deal Mm -hmm. is. And we thought California was the tipping point. And California was indeed the tipping point for just understanding that cannabis was coming. And there's no other way around it. Like either you need to accept it now or move to a town that's bandit because it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) But with the Northeast, with New Jersey legalizing, now Pennsylvania and New York are scrambling. This is going to be a huge market. And the rest of the country, as they're going broke, because there's no restaurants, no retail, there's no this, there's no that, there's no services, there's no salons, gyms, this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? We either need to really quick legalize cannabis or we're out while everybody else around us is bringing in billions when we need it the most for economic stimulus. So I believe the Northeast at this moment in time is going to show the rest of the country exactly what they're missing. And within a year to two years, the rest of the country will, without a doubt, be on board. And do you think that's going to push the federal legalization or descheduling? or If we see any level of federal legalization, I believe it will be medical before anything. Uh-huh. And it will always remain for quite some time for the states to decide on full rec, which at this point with the economy in the trash, who wouldn't? want full recreational. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. It no longer is economically viable to ignore this large of an industry when nothing else is working. It's just, it's now just survival for governments. They're now going too new, you know, up until nine Mm -hmm. months ago, you know, a lot of these states just still looked at us like we were some sort of drug dealers doing something crazy. Now, all of a sudden, there's no more money, and and here we are. And the rest of us are just sitting here like, oh, shit. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah. So if you're a a cannabis company looking to kind of, you know, grow and expand in these times, what would you recommend in terms of approaching PR as a strategy? Who would you say is well-positioned to do it, who is not, and and what would you have them start focusing on? Anyone can always benefit from public relations, just to be clear. But I think right now at this moment in time, brands and public companies, now that we're watching the public markets kind of gain a little bit of steam again and a little bit of momentum, we need those companies to drive that message home so people know to invest in the industry and that we're stabilizing and we've got a future that's probably brighter than anyone else's. So I believe public companies and brands need the most PR rate at this moment. Because the number one most effective way for brands to reach consumers was events, and that is no more. Yeah, not happening right now. So if you're a brand, no one knows you exist outside of Instagram Mm -hmm. unless you're doing PR. So brands and public companies need the best public relations right now at this moment, and it will help you with your expansion goals. It'll help you with your investment goals. It'll help just the general public understand your product exists, and you need to begin building trust and credibility with the public directly. So you need PR. Good sage advice. I appreciate it. Cynthia, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you're doing, what's the best way to get that information? So you can go to houseofsaka.com, greenmarketreport.com, axiswire, A-X-I-S-Wire.com. Or you can go to our Instagrams, which we're still trying to build up. So if you can follow us, that would be great. I will pander like everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) For House of Saka, it's at Infuse Saka. For Green Market Report, it's at Green 
Market Report, and I don't do too much on social media, at least on Instagram, but it is at the Axis Wire if you are interested in that. I'll make sure that all those URLs and handles and everything are in the show notes so people can get that information. Cynthia, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.